We're going to uh, turn our attention to the, to the Word of God here as we uh, have been doing over the past three Unlock conferences. Uh, we welcome our Unlock speaker to come and share the Word of God with us. Uh, we believe that um, this is, uh, yeah, is going to be an awesome opportunity for us to hear. Uh, we're going to hear uh, not only a concluding message for those who are at Unlocked, were at Unlocked, but uh, Kathy Kong is going to deliver a message that we here at Harvest really need to hear as well. And so uh, she is married to her husband, Peter, and she's got three grown children, two of them in uh, one of them in high school, two of them in college, um, and they're just doing really uh, great, great work. She's been a staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for over 20 years, uh, campus staff worker, uh, area director, Asian American Ministries director, all kinds of different things. She's now the director of campus access initiatives, right, which means who knows what, <laughs> but uh, she's uh, very in demand as a speaker, as, a, as an author. She wrote a book for Asian American women called More Than Serving Tea which sadly a lot of us feel like that's the role we get pegged in, not we, but we, uh, yeah, Asian American women often get pegged into. And so uh, she's living out her calling. It's with a great, uh, great blessing for us. People have, you could read all that online, but I just share real quick. Uh, people have told me for many years, you've got, really got to meet uh, Kathy Kong. Uh, she is an amazing, amazing uh, gift to the kingdom of God. And then people have said to me, you really need to hear her uh, speak the word of God. And so this opportunity really fell into our laps. Um, it's, been, it's been great. I feel like in my hearing of her share and of her speak, I have been opened up, uh, disarmed. Uh, she's, to me, I think she's hilarious. Um, I've been challenged. I've been poked. I've been prodded. And her vulnerability has given uh, my heart an openness to receive what she has to say. So let's give a warm welcome. Uh, Unlocked Harvest welcome to Kathy Kong. Thank you. Well, let's not mess that up. Um, I am very grateful to be here this morning with all of you. Uh, I realized as I was sitting there and um, singing and worshiping and praying, um, I just was moved to tears. This is a bit of a homecoming for me. So I am Korean-American, grew up at uh, First Korean United Methodist Church of Chicago. And um, much to the chagrin and perhaps accurate stereotype of Korean churches, uh, we split and attended uh, churches that were the offshoots of uh, elder arguments and uh, found uh, part of my voice with Asian American Ministries in InterVarsity. It was the first time I had seen an Asian American woman preach. That was 1988. Uh, and this weekend, it's 2017. I have had several young men and women also say to me, this is the first time they've heard an Asian-American woman preach. That's a long time for those first times. Um, my family has been attending for the last 13 years a predominantly white church. We wanted to be at a church that was within five to ten minutes of the schools that our children attended so that they could be in the midst of their classmates and see people from their community. But before that, we drove about 45 minutes to a church 
that was predominantly Korean-American, second-gen, Asian-American. We set up in gymnasiums, in schools, in all sorts of places for about 10 years, all through the times that I was pregnant with these children. I was on the worship team, God bless the sound people, all the wires. And I realized as I was sitting there, um, this is a bit of a very strange homecoming for me, to be in the presence of my people, to be preaching in the midst of Asian Americans. This is the first time I am preaching in a Korean American church. So it is a bittersweet homecoming. I'm grateful for the opportunity and the word that the Lord has given to me to share with you all today. So at Unlocked, we've been talking a lot about vocation and calling and what it means to be the people of God in this world. It's a nutty world. Amen? Oh, my goodness. Crazy. Every time an alert goes off on my phone, I'm like, now what? What? And it's been kind of nice to be uh, away for the weekend with students. I really haven't been paying attention to the news. I have no idea what awful things have been going on. And yet, I realize that when I get on the plane and head home, it's going to be crazy. But for us at Unlock, we've been wrestling with what it means to enter the crazy as people of God. And sometimes being the people of God is very confusing. It's very unnerving. We're a little off kilter all the time. And so I like to lean into books like the book of Esther because it throws me off that here is a book in scripture that doesn't mention God a single time. It is the only book of scripture. God is not mentioned by name. I don't understand that. How did it make it into the Bible? <laughs> right? But it is part of the story of God and how he leads his people, how he saves his people, and he invites a woman to be a part of the work of God. So I'm hoping that you are generally familiar with the story of Esther. I didn't want to read the entire book aloud, and um, don't think that that would make for a very good PowerPoint. So I'm going to kind of do the speed story of Esther. Okay, so Esther, we don't know um, what has happened to her parents. She is an orphan. Mordecai is both described as an uncle as, and as a cousin. And for us, those of us here who are Asian American, that makes sense, right? Because we have lots of aunties and uncles, and we're not exactly sure how any of them are related to us. And some of them are not. My children have grown up on InterVarsity staff, and everyone is auntie and uncle. Everyone. And their white friends are like, wow, you have a really big family. And they're like, no, not really. But Esther is an orphan. She has Mordecai, and she's living in Persia. Now, I don't know what it means to be Jewish in Persia, but it's very clear that there is a distinction we are told. Now, before we get into Esther's story, you have to remember that there was another queen. Her name is Vashti, and she disobeys her husband. He is throwing these massive parties, and she is apparently really beautiful. Um, she is what is known as a hot wife. I hate that. I don't understand it. 
but apparently he thought he had a hot wife. And because he's king, he can say to her, dear hot wife, leave your own party and go, I want you to be at my party. I want everybody to see how hot my wife is. And like a good wife, like a good Korean wife, she says, no, I'm not going to the party. So King Xerxes is all kind of flustered. She's not obeying. What do I do? And so he calls his, you know, his people, the men, and they're like, no, we must, we must let the women know that they cannot do this. So she's no longer queen. We don't know what happened to her. But he sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. And I say that because for many of us, not all of us, we have lost our native tongue. For those of you who are immigrants, for those of you who are children of immigrants, for those of you who have um, sort of spoken your mother tongue, for those of you who grew up going to fill-in-the-blank language school, it is important to understand that this edict telling women their place and that every man should rule over his own household was sent in their heart language, their mother tongue. So in order to be king, apparently you need to have a queen. And since he got rid of his first hot wife, he needs another one. So he sends out the message that he is in search of another hot wife. And um, I used to think of it as a beauty pageant, but really it's a little like trafficking. And he's looking for a pretty young thing. And they're all put together for about a year so that he can pick the prettiest young thing and keep whomever he wants for whatever he wants to do with them. And that is Esther. For some reason, Mordecai thinks this is a good idea for his niece cousin to be a part of this. But he tells her, do not let them know that you are Jewish. We also learn that Esther's real name is Hadassah. Why is this important? Because, like I shared with Unlocked, my name actually isn't Kathy Kung. I mean, it's on my documents, and that's what's on my driver's license, but actually, my name is Kang Jong-ah. That is my given name. That is the name of my heart language. It means something, right? It is family first, and Kyung-ah in the Chinese characters means congratulations, given to me by my paternal grandfather because I was the first girl born in four generations on my father's side. Wow, there were a lot of boys who were going to carry on the name and take all the money. But I think they figured out that the girls are the ones who end up taking care of the parents. <laughs> so for many of us, we have the name Esther and we have our name Hadassah. And we hold those identities in tension. And for some reason, we trust our elders in the journey that they have taken us, whether we are first gen, second gen, third gen. 
And I love this book because there are so many things that I relate to as a Korean American woman. Some of the things that my parents have advised me, I don't really understand. Like my dad was really hung up on really good penmanship. So he asked me to start a journal, not because he thought I'd become a writer, but because it would help me with my penmanship. And he would look at some of my homework and ask me to rewrite it because he thought my penmanship could be better. I don't know why. I actually never asked him why, but I have really good penmanship. It's awesome. So sometimes we trust our elders. So she goes and she becomes queen because she can pass. How many of you know what that term means, to pass? Do you know? So in the African black community, it's pretty clear. Folks who could pass, passed as white because of their skin color and their features. They could pass as white. For my Asian American sisters and brothers, can we have a private family talk? I know that we cannot pass in our physical features. Some of us and some of our motherland countries try really hard. There's lots of surgeries available. There are skin treatments available. My kunama in Korea when I visited in high school suggested that I get a nose job, all before the nose job was perfected in Korea. Right? If you look at K-pop and K-drama, oh my goodness. It's, they're, it's weird. They all look alike. Like literally, not just like I can't tell Asian Americans apart from each other, but like they literally look alike. And for those of you who are not connected as Korean Americans to what's going on, I mean, there's kind of a joke that if you marry, they ask for your baby picture. Why? Because you might not look like this anymore, and the children you have may not have that beautiful nose, or those eyes, or those cheeks, right? So these eyes are mine. And I was told how lucky I was. I don't know. They're pretty bad. I wear contact lenses, and sometimes I need reading glasses. I don't think they're that great. But that is what Esther is being asked to do. When she is told to hide her Jewish culture and ethnicity, and for Asian Americans, we have sometimes adopted the model minority myth as a good thing to pass into white culture. We are the model minority because we do not complain. We don't rock the boat. We are well-educated. We take it all, not like those other minorities. Think about what that label means. We are passing so that we can be acceptable to the majority culture, which means we lose a bit of who we are. And this isn't just about race and ethnicity and culture. It is about how and who God has created us. That there are parts of our culture and our ethnicity that are beautiful and powerful. And we have tried to hide it in order to pass, like Esther. 
So Esther passes. She's in the palace, minding her own business, and there is wacky stuff going on out in the world, just like today. Haman, who is the right hand of the king, has a very big ego, and we are told over and over, and I'm hearing it more and more in the last few weeks, that when you have a degree of power, what do you want? More power. You don't go, oh, this power is enough. I'll share. You just want more. And that's what Haman did. And he was terribly offended by something that happened. Mordecai didn't want to bow down. Apparently, when Haman goes down the road, people are supposed to bow. Asians, we're really good at bowing. There are levels of bowing, like the polite bow, the nod bow, like the that bow. And for many of us, we have other bows where we literally put ourselves on the ground. Mordecai just didn't feel like it. And Haman, he didn't take it well. Not at all. And so what he does is call for the destruction of all Jews. <gasps> Only Mordecai puts up a little one-man demonstration, and it is all-out genocide for the Jews. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people, the heart language, your native tongue, so you would understand all Haman's orders to the king's satraps and the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. It was to annihilate. The order to destroy, king, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day. And that was sent out everywhere. Think about it. That is what unleashed, crazy, kooky power does. And your heart language can be used to convey death and destruction. Mordecai is desperate, and he goes to his niece, cousin, who has been safe in the palace. She doesn't really know what's going on, but she hears the news that her cousin, Uncle Mordecai, is doing some crazy things. He's in sackcloth and ashes, and he is praying, and she's like, oh my God, don't be so crazy. It's like when I saw my dad for the first time mowing the yard with <laughs> socks, like black socks in his, like, sandals, mowing the yard. Asa, please, <laughs> the neighbors are going to see you. It was also like growing up in a time when Korean and slash Asian fusion food was not popular, right? Now it's all the thing. People are like, oh, I like sushi. That's great. I'm not Japanese. <laughs> I can use chopsticks. That's fabulous. My kids struggle with it. Right? It, it, it wasn't a thing. And my parents would cook, 
and my house and clothes would smell, and I was so embarrassed to go to school because I smelled like kimchi. I smelled like strange things. My ice cubes never tasted right. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I have a kimchi fridge. I have a fridge. I have a kimchi refrigerator that all the yummy stuff goes into. All the stuff with any flavor goes into that. Everything else, like the cheese, goes into the regular fridge. And then Mordecai explains the situation. And he says to her, Do not think that because you are in the king's house alone, of all the Jews, you will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai essentially tells Esther, you know what? This really isn't just about you saving all the Jews. God's going to do that. God is going to do that. Don't think that just because you're in this place of privilege with your nice Esther name, protected by the king, that you will be saved. Deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. What an invitation into the powerful, redemptive work of God. God is going to be God. And at the end of the day, all of this crazy going on, God is still at work. But the invitation is to be a part of that work. And what this will require is that Esther has to suddenly be reconciled and understand she is not only Esther, but she is Hadassah. She will have to reveal to the king and the entire palace the Jews are her people. That the destruction and annihilation of the Jews means her and that she will stand with her people. Esther sends this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She suddenly reclaims her culture and identity and asks her people to join in prayer and fasting with her. She goes back to her roots in fasting and prayer, claims her identity as a Jewess. She will invite her court, who did not know that she was Jewish, to identify with the practices of her people. And then she will go break the law. 
austere model minorities in the room, how many of you are willing to break the law for your people? There are a lot of things going on in our world that are highly charged and very political. The gospel is dangerous, and it is political. And I will share the same words that I shared with Unlocked. This is a time for civic duty. For those of us who have the privilege of citizenship to use our vote, to talk with our legislators, to learn about the policies that are impacting our people. The first DACA student was Asian American. Asian Americans are the second highest, I believe, number of DACA students. When we talk about following the rule of law for immigration, that was fine and dandy for those of us who had parents or are ourselves came through with ease. Those policies are different. So pick a party. I don't care which party. The political system in the U.S. is a mess. And you know why I know? Because in the Bible, the powers in position were all a mess. But there was Esther deciding that she was going to break the law. And I know that is not something that my parents like me to do, except to speed. And so she goes. And what she does is to act out of her culture. She goes to the king, and instead of demanding the freedom and safety of her people, she invites the king and Haman, I love this, to dinner. She uses hospitality. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I would probably want to protest and march. That's just my personality. She invites them to dinner. And what a beautiful reflection and connection for those of us here whose culture values, honors hospitality. I mean, this church models hospitality, welcoming college students from the conference, providing lunch. I mean, that was the first thing I noticed when I walked in. I was like, oh, I love Korean church. I love Korean church. I miss Korean church because the white church just offers coffee and a few cookies and then you leave kind of hungry. I love Korean church. So think about it. This book of Esther just reeks a culture of faithfulness, subversion, all of the things that we can relate to and be challenged as Asian Americans. Wrestle with how you have chosen to pass, not just in white community and white culture, but even as a church. How have you chosen to pass into the broader culture? 
to hide the dangerous parts about being a Christian? How different does your life look and your faithfulness look in the safety of this space or in your house churches? And does it look different? Do you pass when you enter into your workspaces, into your neighborhoods, into your meetings, with your friendships and your dorms? Remember that your heart language can be used to be a weapon of destruction or used to be the message of peace. And Mordecai's call is the one that I would like for you to sit with. God is going to protect us as his children, as sisters and brothers in Christ. I have no doubt about that. I do not believe politics will save any of us. God saves us. God saves us. However, I do believe that there is an invitation for us to be engaged in the world around us with the power and good news of the gospel. Will the good news each of us carry be good to our brothers and sisters? Will it be good and hopeful? Or will we just give them a list of things they can and cannot do? Will the good news bring them freedom and joy and community and healing? Or will the news and the version of the church we bring be one of destruction and pain. I believe that God is inviting us to be the people fully embracing being both Esther and Hadassah, understanding the power and privilege of being able to pass through multiple cultures, and to wield that privilege and power with the grace and beauty of Jesus. And so I want to invite, as a moment of um, and physical reminder for those of you who are at the Unlocked Conference, I apologize for those of you who weren't, but maybe you'll want to volunteer two years from now for the next conference, or attend, or send someone. But we had some items that we asked all of you as students to set aside, even though I know some of you took them, <laughs> to consider how God is inviting you now to pick up the voices from the different spaces we talked about, the voices from the world, from your school, from your campus, and from yourself and to reflect and wonder and answer the invitation God has for you with a renewed sense of who you are and how you have been called. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite the students um, to go to the same kind of physical space we were back in um, the hotel and to pick up 
whatever um, item or multiple items, items you haven't already taken. As a physical reminder for you, as you go back, and for some of you, go back to families for Thanksgiving, and then go back to your campuses. What is God's invitation to you as we pass and wield power? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have not created us all alike. I am grateful for the different smells and the sounds and the ways in which we enter into your presence. I'm grateful for the story of Esther and relate and wrestle with how even in the midst of patriarchy, of genocide, you still come through. So I ask, Lord, that you would speak and continue to nudge our hearts as people who have privilege and power in the different ways that we have to understand how we communicate in the multiple heart languages we carry your good news. We know that you protect us. We know you protect us. The government is not going to protect us. Political powers will not protect us. You, God, protect us. But much like for Esther, you are inviting us into a space to speak on behalf of our people and to speak a good news. I pray that my sisters and brothers will walk fully with excitement and courage and bravery and boldness into that invitation. And as they go and get out of their seats and go and pick up an item or two or three or four to remind them of the many voices that we carry, that our calling is clear to walk as children of God. Thank you, Jesus.